Hello, hello, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening, I guess depending on whatever time you're listening to this, good day, good night, um, but it's morning for me here and it is definitely fall. I am wearing an Erin Knit sweater, I'm drinking a DIY pumpkin spice latte <laughs> and it's crispy outside, it's kind of cold. Leaves are still kind of green. Um, we're not getting like peak fall foliage yet, but I'm definitely fall core at the moment. And I just want to say that like I learned recently pumpkin spice lattes. Pumpkin spice doesn't have any actual pumpkin in it. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I feel like this is probably like common knowledge, but pumpkin spice is literally just nutmeg and cinnamon cloves I think maybe but um yeah it's just like a spice mix that goes into making a pumpkin pie so originally pumpkin spice stood for like pumpkin pie spice like a blend used for you know what I'm talking about like those pre-made spice blends so that you can just like kick out the pumpkin puree put on the pumpkin pie spice blend and then shove it into the oven you're ready to go I've never made a pumpkin pie and I feel like (laughs) that oversimplified everything but yeah pumpkin pie spice got shortened to pumpkin spice and that's where we get all this crazy misinformation that pumpkin spice has pumpkin in it anyways (laughs) so I've been feeling so so relaxed fall is my favorite season I also found out my Saturn return doesn't come for another two years so I'm in the clear for now if any of my uh, listeners out there are astrology heads Um, I originally thought that a Saturn return is like everyone's 27th birthday and then someone told me that that's not true and it just like depends what your specific Saturn placement is and so I looked it up I did my little chart thing again and my Saturn return is not supposed to come till 2026 so I have like another couple years of relaxation rest and relaxation but back to fall I feel like fall has definitely the best PR especially in the on the east coast and especially in new york city because first of all i also learned recently i guess because i'm not plugged into the internet as much as i thought i was i learned what meg ryan fall was and the name is kind of self-explanatory but i didn't know there was like an actual term for it and i've been listening to this meg ryan fall playlist on spotify that someone made for like a week now (laughs) ever since i learned that you can put these words together everyone knows what you're talking about Um, If you don't know what Meg Ryan Fall is or if you don't know who Meg Ryan is, she's an actress and she was really big specifically in like the 80s and 90s Um, and she starred in a bunch of rom-coms that took place in New York and I think, were they all written by Nora Ephron? I don't know if When Harry Met Sally was written by Nora Ephron because that one was definitely directed by Rob Rayner. Let me do a quick Google search here. Okay, screenplay was by Rob Rayner and Nora Ephron. Okay, I feel like Meg Ryan Fall should actually be dubbed Nora Ephron Fall, but um, Meg Ryan, she was starring in a bunch of rom-coms that take place in New York, so When Harry Met Sally, You've Got Mail, and Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle, it like takes place in Seattle and New York. I watched it a while ago and I don't really remember anything about it other than I thought it was like not that good of a movie. <laughs> and they end up on the Empire State Building, which is like this like really famous scene. Anyways, um... Yeah, I, out of those three, the only actual movie that I like is When Harry Met Sally, which is probably my favorite rom-com of all time. I watch it once a year. I try to at least, but I've also like gotten into this like headspace where I'm like, if I've seen this movie too many times, then like the joy of the rewatch is not as potent for me. I know this isn't the case for like a lot of people who feel like the more they watch something like the more that they remember like the more lines they remember and like I guess the more they enjoy it out of that way but I feel like for me part of the enjoyment is forgetting certain moments um and being reminded of those moments that you forgot kind of like the whole idea of like I wish I could watch this for the first time all over again I'm obviously never going to be able to watch When Harry Met Sally for the first time ever again um but I feel like having bigger gaps in between my rewatches like simulates as much of that first time experience as I can get um so I haven't watched it like I think in like a year 
or more and I might watch it again. I always decide like do I watch it for fall or do I watch it for New Year's because um, When Harry Met Sally kind of like takes place mostly from like fall to New Year's which makes it a really good fall movie and it takes place in New York and it's very romantic and it makes you feel like New York is the most beautiful place on earth. Meanwhile, the reality is it smells like shit and it was literally flooding <laughs> two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Yeah, a week ago. Yeah, but it was flooding and the entire time it was flooding, I was just thinking about all the rats that are probably like drowning and then floating to the top and I don't know that. Ugh, I'm just like sickening. But also rats tread water for three days. Um, so maybe they were just treading water out there which I don't even know if that's any better to be honest I guess a swimming rat could be like kind of cute I don't know what I'm saying I have like a really big phobia of rats like I and you may be wondering why I decided to live in New York despite this big phobia of rats but I I don't know I don't know why I decided to do this to myself I thought that exposure therapy would definitely help but every time I see a rat like dash across the sidewalk I scream as if I've seen like a dead body and it's really embarrassing because I think not a lot of people especially who live in New York have this kind of affliction this um phobia of rodentia and therefore they like look at me like I'm crazy or even worse like I'm a tourist and I'm like I've actually been here for like several years I'm just <laughs> I've just never gotten used to this and I've really tried everything to make rats cuter than how my brain thinks of them as because I think like if I see a pet rat, like a close-up of a pet rat's like face and someone's like holding it and like feeding it crackers or something, I'm like, okay, I guess that's like kind of cute. But if I see it just like in its form scurrying, ugh. I think the problem with rats and I, I have this, I feel a certain way about any kind of rodent to be honest. But the size of a rat is like bigger than a mouse and so it's more threatening than a mouse but then it's also still really fast and still small enough to like crawl up your pants or something which really distresses me. And I don't know if this, if this is like something that other people also do with like any kind of phobia or fear that they have or they also just like know more facts about it than like anything else. Um, so I'm like loaded with rat facts, right? And I watched this one video. I don't remember if it took place in New York, if it was like in Washington, D.C. or some other metropolitan area with a lot of rats. But it was like a Vice video profiling this group of people who had pet dogs and they would do like rat hunting as a sport in part to like clean up the city, quote unquote. Honestly, rats are like producing kids like so fast that their population is so out of control sidebar an Atlantic article I read about rats of New York the writer said that we would have to eradicate like 90% of the rats that are currently alive for there to be a significant reduction in the rat population <laughs> which is crazy but anyway so there's like a rat hunting group they would just like bring their dogs around and like have the dogs run after rats and like Part of it was to clean up the city, but then part of it was also because all their dogs were bred as ratters, which is like a colloquial term for dogs that are bred for the purposes of like catching rats. Um, so I think Jack Russell Terriers are really good rat catchers and um, Karen Terriers are really good rat catchers. And I used to have a Karen Terrier. I grew up with one when I was a kid. And if you don't know what a Karen Terrier is, it's also the same dog as Toto in The Wizard of Oz. But, like, I was reading about Karen Terriers and they have this tail that's, like, kind of, it looks like a regular tail, but it's, like, kind of long and um, it curves. So it's, like, really easy to, like, grip. And apparently farmers or whoever had these Karen Terriers and used them for ratters, they would, like, the Karen Terriers would, like, chase these rats into their little, like, rat holes, their nests, and then the owners would grab the dogs like by their tails to like pull the dogs out so that they wouldn't get stuck in the hole so yeah I'm just like bursting with rat facts y'all <laughs> also if you're wondering if I like Ratatouille it is my favorite Pixar movie one of my favorite Disney movies of all time maybe my favorite Disney movie of all time and I say this like this has been the case for years by the way 
I know that Ratatouille had its moment in 2020 because um, everyone on TikTok was writing songs for the Ratatouille-sicle. So if you've missed that cultural moment, Broadway was closed because of the pandemic, obviously. And a bunch of like Broadway actors and like musical theater enthusiasts came together to produce the Ratatouille-sicle, which was a TikTok musical on Ratatouille. And it was kind of cute. Like I've watched it like twice now. Um... But, you know, people were, like, writing songs for the Ratatouille School and then performing them from their own homes. And, like, I guess, like, someone edited all of them together to create, like, a, a full storyline. But everyone was, like, isolated in their own homes. So it's not, like, obviously the best production-wise, but it was really cute. And the music was actually kind of good. Also, um, Adam Lambert was casted as a meal, which is not my personal casting choice, but that was a bit of a, an Easter egg appearance. I was like, I have no idea what Adam Sand Adam Adam Sandler Adam Lambert is doing these days. Actually, dot dot dot. But yeah, Ratatouille is one of my favorite movies, and I think like if it's the rat is animated, I'm totally fine. Also, Remy was like cooking and like washing his hands, and I think part of like my rat phobia has to do with like cleanliness, because as a kid, I was always really grossed out very easily by like dirt and mud and even though dirt is not technically unhygienic right because it's like soil this is another tangent oh my god I remember like when I was like really into plants for like a hot second (laughs) not that I don't like plants now I still like plants but there was like a hot second where I was like really like looking into flowers specifically because I wanted to like create flower bouquets and I was reading about how like wildflowers is the nicer term for weeds it sounds just like more aesthetic and like people like want them more but like a dandelion is a weed but then if they want to like market it I guess or if they want to just like put a positive spin on the dandelion they're like oh it's a wildflower and likewise dirt is the same as soil but soil has these associations that it's good for the earth that it's happy for the plants um that it's like doing something more productive than dirt which is kind of like given this connotation that it's you know dirty (laughs) unhygienic just like a mess um something that you want to get off of you yeah why was I saying that what was I talking about cleanliness okay yes so as a kid I was always like really super stressed out by any kind of like signs of uncleanliness like I only walked on sidewalks I hated walking on the grass I would really freak out if I was walking on grass I didn't walk on sand I remember like very vividly we had a local pool that um I would go to in the summertime it was an outdoor pool and next to the pool was this area and it was like grassy fields and people like would run around and hang out and my friends would like go over there and like run around and play tag or whatever and I would just like sit by myself by the pool where it was um the ground was like concrete I don't know if that's necessarily like the exact material that pool surroundings are constructed by but I it was like akin to concrete and I would just like sit there and like watch them all play because I didn't want to step on the grass so I've always had like a bit of an issue, but I think rats specifically conjure like a certain kind of like nastiness that I can't dissociate from. And I'm like, I think it's my body carrying the genetics of my ancestors who may have been plague victims. I don't know if the plague went all the way down to Vietnam, but I do know it eradicated a lot of Asia. And that is something they don't tell you about in a lot of history books in school because they always focus on like Europe. But the Black Plague decimated a large part of Asia as well because Asia is connected to Europe. (laughs) And maybe my like body just remembers, remembers the plague. And it's like, we we can't be around this. <laughs> we can't go back there. Okay. Um, but anyways, back to fall. <laughs> okay, so right now I'm actually working on a video. And I, <laughs> woo crazy. I don't know. It's been so long, I feel like. And it definitely was weird the first couple weeks. I was still working. Like, I wasn't fully taking time off because I still like do this podcast and then I was also doing Patreon and um I like filming some like ad stuff for brands 
So I was still like doing some work, but like it felt good to be away from YouTube because I feel like I was able to recharge in that aspect. And then when I was actually recording, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. This is more fun than I remember it being. Um, but I was doing a video on sweaters and I'm not going to go further into depth about that because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but I started like going into like a wormhole of sweaters and now I'm like obsessed with sweaters. But it's weird because I also feel like sweaters have never really fit into my personal aesthetic. Like I don't think I'm known as a sweater girl. My style has been kind of flipping back and forth between looking like Morticia Adams and looking like a fisherman. <laughs> I've definitely started embracing some kind of like Pacific Northwest coated um, style in part because sometimes it's just really difficult to get dressed and putting on a corset or any kind of like garment that takes longer to put on than than a pullover um, can feel like a lot and it makes me not want to get dressed and so I've just been trying to find ways to still feel cute without like having to go the distance with accessories and different textiles and you know stuff like that. It's so high production and at this point in my life it's such a positive thing for me to just roll out of bed and get dressed so <laughs> yeah actually when I was like researching my sweater thing something that I'm not putting in the video that I thought was interesting was um the author of this book oh I want to say it's either the book was either overdressed or wardrobe crisis because I was flipping back and forth between these two references a lot but I can't remember right now which one it was where the author went to interview people in Mongolia because um, Mongolia is where like most cashmere is produced um, and she went over like to talk to some of the people in the industry there and this one woman she was saying that the saying goes is you're not supposed to wear cashmere when you're in your 20s or 30s even um, because cashmere is so soft like it's one of the softest fabrics in the world and as you get older as you age your body gets like more fragile you get more sensitive to the cold and to the wind and you want to have a garment reserved for when you're old and you need something like softer but if you wear cashmere when you're young, then your body gets used to this kind of softness and you have nothing left waiting for you when you're old um, because your body has like already adjusted, I guess, to like the fibers of uh, cashmere, which I thought was interesting. But all of this is to say that I've been changing up my style in a way. Like, as I said, the Morticia Adams part has just been like, it's always something that I do around fall, winter. Like I kind of like do more gothic makeup. I wear more black. But the fisherman thing is definitely new. <laughs> and I've been wearing lots of knits and denims. And it feels like weird and also feels like I'm not doing enough. Which is why I kind of like don't post these outfits really on Instagram or any kind of like social media platform. Because I just don't think they're like revolutionary in any way. But I'm also just trying to like be easier with myself when it comes to posting on social media. So this is actually a revelation that I've had recently. Um, I've been taking lots and lots of photos without the intention of posting them on Instagram. And I realized like how much like I love actually just like documenting and saving memories. Part of it came because when I was in Idaho my friends and I we took so many pictures and I posted some of them on some of them on social media but we took like a lot of pictures and a lot of them did not make it uh to social media also like one of my friends who has a baby she just didn't want to post her baby on social media which I think is like really valid um and I definitely probably wouldn't post my child on social media either if I was to have a child but like her baby's so cute so obviously I was taking tons of photos of him so yeah I don't know I was just I loved the act of documenting and then after the trip I was just like you know looking at all the photos and just like really smiling and this was literally like two days post trip and I was already feeling nostalgic for it and I was like wow like taking photos is actually really fun. The reason I stopped because I used to document a lot but the reason I stopped was because I always documented for the purposes of posting on Instagram and that was fun when I first started Instagram because I didn't have that many because I didn't have that many followers and everything was chronological 
and all my friends were just like taking photos of literally like god knows what like a Doritos bag with the Rio Grande Rio Grande day filter on it like <laughs> times are very simple very not aesthetic but it was really cute and fun I think as I started getting more of a following I started getting more like precious about the content that I would share with everyone with people who I don't know at the same time I think this was also this was so this was like 2019 when I started feeling this way um and this was also kind of like when influencers were really peaking or I should say annoyance towards influencers was peaking so people would make all these jokes about people taking pictures of like restaurant food like phone eats first that kind of um, mindset and it was starting to be brand like this kind of behavior was starting to be branded in the cultural zeitgeist zeitgeist as very annoying and it was kind of annoying to me too because I was like why are we not living in the moment why are we like taking photos all the time like um why do we have to prove that we're having fun or why do we have to prove that we're having a good meal and I started to see taking photos as like proving or bragging to to other people and like creating FOMO um among like your viewers about the experience like you're currently living which made me feel icky I don't want to blame anyone who does that or who who did that and brand them with the idea that they were doing this like maliciously to like be like haha you are not eating this like delicious sandwich with me um I don't think people were thinking about that at all I think that's just like the effect that it came across towards me and I just didn't want to do it anymore the downside is I didn't take many photos and like when I look back at my photo album like between the years of 2019 to 2023 like to earlier this year I just don't have a lot of photos of my friends and it's so weird because beforehand I took so many photos with my friends and um, I've made a lot of new friends in that time of between 2019 and 2023 because I moved to New York in that time and I just have no real photos of like my New York friends and one thing that I used to do for birthdays like I would post like photos of my friends or like I would share I would text a photo an old photo of me and my friend and be like happy birthday like miss you love you whatever and I just don't have photos to do that anymore so that was kind of like the whole I also am just always like a little stressed out about my memory I don't know I've always been this way like even as a kid I was always paranoid about losing my memory um, I don't know what kind of movies I was watching what kind of books I was reading because my grandma, um, she did have Alzheimer's. I have one grandparent who has Alzheimer's where she passed away. Um, but she was diagnosed like after I already developed this fear. And I didn't know anyone in my family beforehand who had ever had Alzheimer's. So I don't know. I really don't know where this fear came from. But I remember being as a kid and just like trying to remember my entire days, like a week before. Um, and if I could remember everything I did, then that was like a win. The downside is I definitely can't do that anymore and the fact that I was ever able to like really stresses me out. Anyway, okay, we're not going to get into that. We're just not. I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> Time is crazy. But yeah, I just like I don't have a lot of memories of a lot of mundane things that I think actually make life beautiful. I I definitely remember a lot of big things like big trips that I went on like memorable dinners uh memorable like conversations even but it's the small things of like my everyday that I wish I photographed to recall a memory of similarly I used to journal a lot but I used to only journal when I was going through it <laughs> when I was in the trenches <laughs> and so I like when I look back at those journal entries I'm like damn I was like hating life <laughs> and that's not necessarily true it was just those were the only things that I wrote down about like my past year. But I, you know, like everyone's like a human, like we have like an accumulation of like bad experiences, but also positive experiences. And the positive experiences, my mindset was like, I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to fully enjoy this experience, which is great. But then knowing myself as someone who's like very nostalgic and who likes to look at my past memories or like, you know, I like to mull on things that have happened to me, not from a place of like longing so much as a place of just like trying to understand like the type of person that I used to be and how I got to where I am today. 
And if I only have like a time capsule of bad memories, it definitely colors my perception of what my life was like in this time period, like between 2020 to 2021, um, which is inaccurate, you know? Um, so yeah, I started like documenting a lot in the past couple weeks and I've been really enjoying my life. I've also just, you know, I've been on Tumblr. I've been talking about Tumblr. I still really enjoy Tumblr. My For You page has gotten a little bit like crazier for sure. Um, I think because like it's so sensitive, the algorithm is so sensitive and I don't know why this is because I think this is also the case with like TikTok too, but I noticed it for Tumblr because I liked this video of David Byrne dancing and David Byrne, he is a, um, musician he's an artist he was like head of talking heads which is this like band um from the 80s and he's known for like doing this really weird dancing and I liked this video of him dancing because also in one of the reblogs someone added on information about why he dances this way and it's because like he wanted to create something for himself that was symbolic of the type of person he was so he was like saying in this time period in the 80s, um, a lot of people were copying like R&B and hip hop dancers and music artists um, and dancing like them. But he felt like that was not real for him and like the type of person he is and where his artistic journey was at. And so he was like trying to create dances that represented him better. And he like it was a practice tape of him doing all these really weird dances, like trying them out. And I thought that was like really fun and cool. I also was not aware too much of who David Byrne was. Like I'm not a talking heads girl. Um, I'm not that I don't like their music. I just like, I was never really introduced to it. And I remember at the Met Gala last year, he pulled up with a bike and I thought that was like funny. Like, I don't know. I was like, oh, David Byrne and a bike. And okay, bringing it back, ruling it back. My For You page is now full of David Byrne because I liked that video, right? So I just like, I'm, I'm filled to the brim with now rat facts and David Byrne facts. And David Byrne is like a cyclist. <laughs> he's not a professional cyclist, but he is like, he's a lover of cycling. He's a lover of bicycles. He's a bicycle fan. He wrote a book about bicycles. More on that later. And so I was like, oh my God, I have so much more appreciation for this Met Gala look because if I was aware of the David Byrne lore, I would get that this was like a statement he was making because he loves bicycles and he virtually like doesn't use a car. I think he lives in both LA and New York and when he's in LA, he drives obviously because LA is a driving city, really hard to get around without a car. Um, but in New York, he does not own a car and he bikes everywhere and he biked to the Met Gala as he bikes everywhere. Back to the bicycle book though. So <laughs> he wrote this book of bicycles, I think in like 2008. And I was looking it up because I was like, ooh, maybe another new book for me to read. And I was looking it up on Goodreads and the rating was like 3.5 stars. And I was looking at the reviews and a lot of people reviewed it negatively because they were like, oh, David Byrne, he has a lot of musings that are actually not about bicycles in this book. Like, he can't seem to focus on the bicycles at hand here. Like he keeps going somewhere else. <laughs> and then some other people were even critical about his musings and saying that they were not that interesting and that they themselves think they have more interesting musings than David Byrne does, which I think is interesting. Um, but either way, I was kind of like looking at these reviews and I was like, oh, I don't know if I actually want to read this book. But then I was like, why do I keep getting trapped into this mindset of like not wanting to engage in movies and tv that are quote-unquote not good um and I think a lot of it has to do with once again really in the back our fear of wasting time because time is a finite resource and I think like with books and tv especially it's like they take up a good amount of time for you to actually like get to the end and if you didn't like what you read or what you watched and you're like, wow, I just like wasted all that time consuming something that I didn't like when there's so many things to consume, especially now there's so many things that I could have consumed instead, so many books or movies or TV shows or TikToks or Instagram reels that I could have been spending my time on enjoying. And even though I like to think that in my mind I know consuming bad stuff is equally as valuable as consuming good stuff in terms of like 
getting to know yourself and your taste and cultivating your artistic creativity. Like I think if you don't know what you don't like, then it's hard to guide you in your own artistic process to do things that you actually like. Does that make sense? Despite knowing this, it's like I still get that like itch in my brain where I'm like, oh my God, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time like reading this awful book. Um, And so I do really pay attention to ratings, which is bad because ratings are so subjective. And there are definitely books out there that have been rated highly, which is why I read them and I didn't like them. The Evelyn Hugo book. (laughs) You know, so it's like, it's so subjective. My taste is unique. Everyone's taste is unique. Just because so many people love this book doesn't mean you're going to love it. And also just because so many people don't like this book doesn't mean you're going to not like it. And I, it's so hard to internalize. Um, and part of me is like, oh, if I just didn't use Letterboxd or Goodreads, I'd probably be able to like pick up books and movies and whatever like more ignorantly and more naively and just be able to discover myself versus trying to preemptively decide if I'm going to like it or not. But I use those platforms mostly to catalog books and movies that I want to watch or read in the future. And I haven't like created a better system for it. So it is what it is. I will say though, I came across this like Rotten Tomatoes article from a bit ago. Like I think it was, it was not like that long ago. It was um like last month. <laughs> but they were basically talking about how Rotten Tomatoes is a scam. Um, Not in the way that you think. Like you don't, you're not giving Rotten Tomatoes money, but because Rotten Tomatoes is owned by Fandango and part of the whole system to verify like reviewers, because a lot of times, like sometimes reviewers will review bomb something, which means like they basically flood all the reviews with like one stars or just giving bad ratings because they don't like what's going on. I think... There was one movie, this was probably happened so many times, but a bunch of like misogynists like review bombed the movie because they didn't like that it was like a woman director and some of the jokes were like anti-men. So that's an example of review bombing. They haven't actually watched the film, but they hate something that's a part of it and decide like that's enough to give the entire movie one star. So anyway, to combat review bombing, Rotten Tomatoes like makes you be a verified viewer and you have to like have bought a movie ticket to have to review it the problem is though like if you bought a movie ticket then you probably are really excited for the movie and your perception of it is probably going to be like really subjective and skew positive which is why a lot of marvel movies they'll perform really well like the first week the first weekend in the box office because All these people preemptively are buying tickets to go see it and then they give it like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or however they rank it because they just like love Ant-Man. And I use Ant-Man as an example because um, after the initial like bump up from the first weekend, it actually like tanked because a lot of people didn't actually like it. So this is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. By the way, this is not the first Ant-Man. I don't even know if this is the second Ant-Man. It's one of the Ant-Mans. But yeah, it debuted at 79% based on its first batch of reviews. Days later, after more critics had weighed in, its ratings sank into the 40s. But so many people care about reviews before they purchase tickets. And so because of that, Quantumania had the best opening weekend of any movie in the Ant-Man series at $106 million. Yet in its second weekend, once all these other reviews like averaged out the review to be like, I don't know, 69% um, in its second weekend, the film had the steepest drop-off in Marvel history. Part of also what kind of like skews Rotten Tomatoes and technically skews like Goodreads and Letterboxd too is that you don't have to be like super verified as a critic to be able to review something and affect its rating or score. And so like if you have a Substack article, you could technically have a review that gets put into the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Um, And it would be like way the same as someone who writes reviews for like major newspapers. I'm not saying that people like don't have a right to review something. And just because you don't do it as a profession doesn't mean like your opinion doesn't matter or what you say is like less smart or any way. But I feel like 
when it comes to criticism because it's so democratized these days and I've benefited from it like let's not play around I've definitely benefited from criticism being democratized but a lot less people out there are actually like reading up on the art of criticism because it is an art in and of itself it's a skill that you have to learn I don't even think I'm like the best critic out there I'm by far not the best not even like in the top 20 or 30 I think because the way I review movies is through a specific lens like I can review a movie through costume pretty well I can review a movie through like character analysis character development because I am a trained actor and I like so I can also review a movie based on its acting but it's really hard for me to review a movie based on like the actual like camera movement or the lighting, because those are areas that I am not well-versed in. I actually have no idea what any of that means. And I would be hard-pressed to say that a lot of people who write reviews, they are reviewing from a certain lens. A lot of the times, it's through their own subjective taste, and not based on like the camera work, the acting, the character development, the themes. Sometimes people like mistake criticism with just like disliking or liking something and it's definitely more complex than that like I can't tell you how many times like someone will review a movie that I like (laughs) so I take it more personally but they'll say something like oh I just didn't like it like I didn't like that it's about aliens and the movie's like alien (laughs) it's it's literally the alien movie and they're like oh I don't like sci-fi and I'm like that can't be the only metric that you review something with I guess it can, but if it's getting held by the same standards as like someone who is able to review this movie more holistically and it affects whether or not people actually go to the movie theater, then that kind of sucks. I don't know. I definitely think I sound like a hypocrite right now because I made so many videos about like my personal opinion on something that's very skewed towards like my subjective taste and everything. And I'm still like trying to reckon with that because part of me is like, I'm just a person on YouTube, like I don't have any qualifications, but I also think that a lot of people don't care that I don't have qualifications and still take my word as if I do have a lot of qualifications. It's definitely like a weird tightrope to walk. I also think because of the SAG strike, I've distanced myself from reviewing movies and TV shows for the time being, and it's like let me be more reflective on past reviews that I've made, and I think There are a lot of things that I've said in these videos that I still stand by fully because usually I'll go through from like a plot development angle Um, and I think part of that is because like I love stories, like I love storytelling, I love reading books, I watch movies for the plot and for the characters and that's like the, the segmentation of like movies and film, TV, whatever that I pay attention to the most and that's how I review it. Um, but I think like moving forward, I could probably be more holistic with the reviews and maybe like talk about more about things that I liked about it or like comment more on like what the director was trying to do maybe. Cause I've also realized that if I know what the director or the writer was trying to do, I tend to like, like the movie or the show more because I understand the intention even if like I thought the execution was weird I just like appreciate anyone who has any kind of solid vision especially in these days where I feel like so much of our entertainment is like purely like content and it's oh god this is just another (laughs) I'm so sorry this like podcast should be renamed to tangents from a crazy person because I cannot stay on one subject um but yeah i I've been having conversations with friends about like the word content and the word content creator and I think it was Emma Thompson. Don't don't hold me accountable for that but there's been some discourse about like how content creator is a bad label and it takes the artistry out of like art and like how are we to determine like what is content and what is art and by calling everything content it kind of like puts it all through this like same filter and it's not understanding like the complexities or like the vision or the differences between different types of content and it also focuses on the consumerist aspect of art making um 
And I totally agree with all those things. And I think a lot of content creators, quote unquote content creators, shouldn't call themselves just content creators. Like, I think we can definitely be more specific. I think there are a lot of artists out there who are afraid to call themselves artists because um, there's like a certain like high browness. Uh, hey, brown. <laughs> high brownness associated with art. And a lot of people have imposter syndrome, so they won't embrace that title if they don't feel like they've quote unquote deserved it. That's another discussion, but... I think also at the same time, a lot of content is just content. And I can say that about even my own stuff where I'm like, I feel like there's definitely been, you know, TikToks that I've made that are kind of like meaningless that I'm just like making to like make for an audience and not necessarily because I have like some internal drive to express myself. As much as I hate to say that, to admit that, I think that's true. And I think that's just the content cycle that a lot of people are on who do this full time where they're forced to produce a certain amount of videos a certain amount of content per month per week and you can't be passionate about every single thing at that point um I think it's kind of like impossible and so some stuff like may be a passion project but some stuff you're definitely pushing out just to like maintain relevancy um and I'm fine doing that with like Instagram and TikTok because they're just like short little like bits of video but I think for YouTube I was really afraid of becoming that with my channel and that's why I took a break because I think I just needed to let myself be okay with not producing things um on a constant schedule as much as like I think everyone likes consistency I also think like what's important is like integrity and I didn't want to sacrifice my integrity for consistency. All of this is to say there's a lot of empty content out there which sounds it's it's literally like a an oxymoron empty content um but soulless like content on the internet and so I think just by recognizing that a lot of these movies and tv shows that I look at there was a creative process involved there was like a lot of work that went into it those are all things that I can like incorporate more into um a review likewise so for Barbie and I know Barbie discourse is like so overrun now like everyone has said has said something about Barbie except for the actors because they can't um but I feel like when I first watched Barbie like I definitely had like a different experience than everyone else watching it and since like I've sat with it because I haven't been able to write a review or to do a review because of the sack strike I've been able to like think about it more holistically and I think it's definitely improved my relationship with the movie um yeah I think with the way that our culture is so hell-bent on like streamlining processes and just being super super fast and there's a beauty in slowness and being able to um really like sit with something and marinate with something because your first impression is a first impression it's valuable for sure but it may not be the lasting impression and something that I really don't love in the way that social media is is that I'll write a review or something and that is usually like my first impression I haven't rewatched it again um and it's the lasting one because if someone just like looks up Mina Lang uh Wednesday review that is the review that is um what they think my opinion is and it could have been posted years ago but that's the only review that I'm ever going to make on it so yeah it's just a weird thing to think about okay the last thing I want to talk about is this um article that I read on Bustle it was published last week and it was called the new rules of friendship online which is something that I think is so interesting and funny but it's just like a list of friendship etiquette rules for like navigating friendships online and it was accumulation of people's I guess write-ins because they said to figure out what behavior is okay versus kind of cringe bustle asked readers about their biggest pet peeves when it comes to texting and group chats taking photos during a night out and following exes and more I don't know how they actually like comb the responses and I also don't know how many people they talk to but uh, I thought I would like read some out because I'm interested to know if everyone else feels this way or if like this is just like a bustle readership type of thing. I have my own opinions but yeah. 
Okay, so the first one here is please keep following your friend's exes. Although 30% of readers will unfollow or even block their best friend forever's BFFs ex, a solid 70% will continue following them for research purposes, of course. After all, who else is going to tell your best friend that What's-His-Face just adopted a golden doodle with his new partner? I was actually shocked by this because I think for me, when I've broken up with someone in the past and my friends like kept following them and this is like someone who I had no mutual friends with it's not like you know they knew him first or whatever this is someone who I like have really no inter Venn diagram crossover with right and so my friends like continued following him afterwards and I was like what are you doing like please remove we don't want to associate because I think I'm the type of person who when I am done with someone, I'm really done. Like, I don't want to know anything about them. I don't want to know if they're sad. I don't want to know if they're happy. I just like, I I don't have the energy or bandwidth to keep tabs on someone who I'm never going to have any kind of relationship, connection, friendship with even um, in my life. Like, I think it's just a waste of energy. And I would be actually really annoyed if someone was keeping tabs and bringing them up to me again. That's like my own boundary though. Um, I guess a lot of people just want to continue knowing what's happening with their ex. I don't think that's very healthy, but yeah, apparently 70% of people (laughs) are a fan of this behavior. Uh, The next one is in the comments, HBD doesn't cut it. Sure, you already helped them pick which photo to put first in their dump and workshopped caption ideas for a solid 15 minutes before they posted it, but nobody needs to know that. 65% of readers will comment as if they've never seen the picture before, and when it comes to engagement or birthday posts, nearly 55% will say something more inspired than a plain fire emoji or congrats, have a writer's block, you dropped this queen, it's always a crowd pleaser. Okay, a little chuggy here. I feel like I don't I mean I just had a birthday so like this is like pretty raw in my head and I used to have a friend who said the day after her birthday was her least favorite day of the year because she would go back and look at the messages and make note of who remembered and who didn't (laughs) I definitely used to be the same way I didn't make like a whole day of it where I would like comb through. But if there was someone I was close with and they didn't send me a happy birthday, like it definitely would be filed away in my in my books. And I think I'm still the same way. I think if I'm like actually close with this person, like if this is a tier one friendship and they don't wish me a happy birthday, that's kind of like a red flag. But if we're just like friends, like I don't expect to get a happy birthday from all my friends because – I definitely don't have all my friends' birthdays in my calendar. So like the only times they say happy birthday to someone is if I'm like online and I see that they're birthday posting and I'm like, oh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Or if it's someone I'm close with and I'm going to their literal birthday party or whatever. But I think it's kind of an unrealistic standard to have towards everyone you know. Um, Because if you think about yourself, I'm like, how many birthdays do you remember? Like, do you remember everyone's birthday? Everyone? If you do, then I deeply apologize because I think you deserve to have everyone in your life say happy birthday to you. But um, I think it's just kind of like an unrealistic expectation. And it also is inferring that there's like a certain level on of onlineness that everyone in your community is where they would see everything that you post when that's not necessarily true, especially with how algorithms are these days and how they're like actively suppressing people's content this is another reason why I've been kind of weird about social media lately and why I've been taking photos just for myself and why I've been on tumblr a lot is because I feel like social media has become deeply unsocial and what I mean by that is like you don't see a lot of what your friends post anymore like social media is less about like your inner community that you're creating and more about like memes and viral tweets and uh you know viral reels and viral like uh tiktoks and content produced by other people and not necessarily people you follow or or people you want to know what they're doing um and so I whenever I go on Instagram I really just like am posting and going I'm not really scrolling that much because 
it just pisses me off to come across like a reel from some account that I don't follow and I'm like I'm literally on here to see my friends and I'm not seeing them and it just feels very cluttered and very I feel like it's too busy there's too much stimulation and I get really exhausted from it and that's why I end up just like mostly hanging out in my group chats and if I'm online it's kind of like solo online because it's better than like solo online plus like a lot of noise does that make sense okay Next one, your friends might actually hate your memes. 73% of respondents will simply like a meme to show that they saw it, but you can also steer friends towards the right content for you in a lighthearted way. My friends and I rate the videos, one person says. Nearly 80% will let it go if they did actually LOL at a meme unless the content is problematic or offensive. So for the sake of your friendship and for you, Paige, go ahead and let your friends know if their memes aren't your cup of tea. Um, I think if I don't laugh at a meme, I kind of, I am in the troop of just like, letting it go like I don't (laughs) I don't provide feedback because I think it's just special that someone sent me a meme anyway like I I don't know I think I I value just the fact that they thought about me even if I don't think it was funny (laughs) okay next one close friend stories aren't a real sign of close friendship if it walks like a finsta and talks like a finsta it probably is and let's be honest with ourselves that's so 2017 nearly 55 percent of respondents say they don't use the chuggy instagram feature at all but those who do aren't all that choosy about who gets to see the exclusive content don't think being added to the private story means you're actually besties okay yeah i'm definitely on people's close friends list who i like don't really talk to that often so i definitely believe that um don't be the party pooper who hates taking pics 56% of people agree they'll do whatever it takes to get the perfect shot. So if you're the stickler in the friend group who doesn't love taking photos, you might want to power through or compromise with some sort of 15-minute rule. Um, I've never been in a situation of people not wanting to take photos for their friends. Like I definitely will crawl on the ground for the shot. Like I will crawl on that dirty-ass New York sidewalk to get the best angle for my friend because that's what friends do. I definitely feel like if I want a photo taken, I'm more like antsy about like wasting other people's time and like being annoying about it. So I tend to like, I'm like, oh, just keep pressing like 10 shots in a row and there's probably something that will look good. Like I don't like go through my camera roll um, with them to see if I liked the photos they took of me. But that's a me problem. I think my friends are all very lovely and they would definitely spend like 15 minutes trying to get a good photo you don't have to follow everyone back only at 31 percent are certified hashtag team follow back in every case if you didn't really vibe and you're worried about how it might look to not follow someone you just met go ahead follow them and then unfollow them later as 37 percent of our readers do as one person said i'll probably forget to unfollow them so we'll see their posts for years to come and forget where i know them from i've talked about following and unfollowing etiquette before in particular like what I think about it um I think it's just like not that serious I'll usually unfollow people if I haven't like talked to them in a while um not because I don't like them but because like I'm like I haven't talked to you for a really long time I feel weird about knowing what you ate for breakfast yesterday on your story and I don't really I don't like check if people follow me or unfollow me so yeah I don't know I think if we're really good friends and you unfollow me then I'll be like okay this is weird like is this a (laughs) is this like the killing of Archduke Franz Ferdinand like is are you triggering something like are you kicking off a war what's going on um obviously it's not that deep but like yeah I think that's kind of weird and if we were actually close I'd probably like confront about it I don't really check though so honestly if you're one of my good friends and you just like decide to unfollow me you probably won't realize for like a couple months I will say though like the whole thing about like following someone and then unfollowing the day later I have done that because well sometimes like if I'm drunk then I'm like I don't remember this person and so I unfollow but also like sometimes people who I meet they're like normal and then we'll like exchange contact and this is an ick a personal ick that I have where if I give someone my phone to type in their username on Instagram they'll like type it in and then they'll follow themselves and then give my phone back to me like it's such a small thing but I don't like the overstepping of like my autonomy for the decision to follow like I think it's just an etiquette thing that's not enough to make me unfollow someone that's just like an ick that I have that I'm like and then there was a moment also that I remember where I met this girl and she followed her boyfriend on my account also 
Like, I was like, I'm not interested in your boyfriend. I'm interested in you. Like, I didn't know this was a package deal. And that was kind of like uncomfortable. And I ended up unfollowing the boyfriend. <laughs> okay, next on the list, respond to texts within a few hours, but never the next day. Unless you're doing some FBI level research to figure out if that couple from high school broke up, don't expect immediate responses. Give people some grace and assume a reply is coming within a few hours. In fact, you should probably manage your expectations based on what you know about your friend's average screen time habits. Okay, retweet that. If you know they're chronically offline, it's unfair to think they'll get to your message ASAP. Of course, context matters here. So if your bestie is asking for immediate post-breakup advice or needs cheering up after some bad news at work, a timely response is superior. On your end, though, don't procrastinate too much. Only 19% of people think it's okay to text a day late. Okay, I think it definitely depends on the subject matter. So if it's like some life advice needing situation then I think as soon as possible like within 24 hours for sure is the etiquette code but I think if it's just like a random text or like a meme or like you know oh I, I checked out this really cool cafe today like that's less pressing and I feel like I'll try to reply but sometimes I'll really just forget because I tend to only reply to things if I feel like a gun is being pointed at my head. I'm like, this needs a reply now and then I'll reply. And if I'm like, oh, this doesn't need a reply now, then I'll just like forget about it. It's not the best practice and I'm definitely trying to change. I also think anything regarding plans needs like immediate response. Like, are we meeting tomorrow or uh, am I seeing you later today? That is stuff that really pisses me off if I have a friend who flakes on me the day of or who doesn't respond to texts confirming because I think the only reason I confirm is because I'm so afraid of flaking people that I'm like okay are we sure before I leave my house are we sure because once I leave my house I'm gonna be really angry if you're like actually I don't want to come today so texting back about timely matters is really important to me and I will always do it if someone is asking me the same question okay Last one here, you're not a bad friend if you just send iMessage reactions. If you don't have the time to craft a thoughtful answer, an iMessage reaction like an emphasis or heart is more than enough, nearly 50% say, but only in group chats where others will probably chime in. If it's an explicit question, it always warrants a response when respondent says. For one-on-one -on -one convos, a reply within a few hours is the standard. Okay, yeah, I think that <laughs> that'd be so bogus if you wrote something like, my boyfriend cheated on me and then your your best friend just like sad reacts or thumbs down reacts your message and that's it that'd be unhinged that'd be crazy I don't know anyone who would do that um yeah I think group chats definitely fine I'm in a couple group chats and I think if I'm late to the chase like if I just didn't have my phone on me and there's been like a whole conversation rather than like we're going back and like responding to every single point that was raised I'll just like like or emphasize or heart react certain statements that were made that I support um, because I don't want to like go back to a conversation if it's already been like moved forward from if that makes sense but if someone was like oh can you please weigh in Mina then I'll like go back and actually say something okay <laughs> last thing okay last thing I know they said this was the last thing but something else that I read um because this is related you know I wasn't gonna bring it up but I was like might as well because we were talking about group chats I was reading this article about group chat fatigue and this idea that we're just like in so many group chats that it's becoming like really tiring to be a part of them and it's Definitely interesting because I've been part of group chats for a long time. I've been on the internet for a long time and group chats didn't always used to be like on Messenger. Before Messenger, we had like iChat before iChat. Well, at the same time as iChat, I was using Skype. I was using like AIM before then, MSN. There were many platforms for group chatting. Um, Twitter DM, like Twitter had like a DM group DM situation and I definitely understand the fatigue that comes with having a lot of people in a group chat and feeling like conversations are like moving forward and you can't like keep up with everything especially because I used group chats a lot in high school 
to communicate with like not even like my real life friends like my online friends my fake friends <laughs> I think it's so funny to say like my real life friends as if my online friends are not real people but I had like a lot of online friends from tumblr and from twitter and we would create these group chats and my some of my friends lived in completely different time zones I actually have one friend who I'm still friends with Maurice if you listen to my podcast shout out to you love you she lives in northern Ireland and she's always lived actually no she doesn't live there anymore she moved to somewhere else in England (laughs) but she was living in Northern Ireland in high school that's where she grew up and she was the only person who lived in Europe in this group chat so we'd be like talking at these like random hours of the day that was normal for like the east coast and then she would like complain when she woke up she was like I woke up to 95 messages guys (laughs) so yeah I can definitely feel like if it's overwhelming if you're not someone who's like I guess on your phone all the time or someone who is on your phone at the time when like all your friends seem to be on your phone but for me like I had that group chat period of my life and then I kind of like fell off the group chat wagon because I don't know I like didn't have like a lot of like friend groups I think like I started making like mostly like individual friends and then only recently I've been involved in like more group chats again And I really do love the group chat because it, rather than like sending an individual like recap of my day to like every single one of my friends to build closeness, I can just like dump that all into a group chat and then like feel like I'm connected in that way. Also, there's less pressure to like individually respond to everything because there's probably someone who's going to respond, um, which I like. And Yeah, I think the group chats that I'm in, it's been like less fatiguing than ones in the past because we all like are doing our own things and it's not like we talk like constantly throughout the day or like for hours at a time. It's like someone will post like, like one of my friends posted that she went to the Ren Fair and like dropped a couple photos and we're like, oh my god, Ren Fair and that was like period and then my other friend like dropped in a photo of her cat and we're like, OMG, cat. (laughs) You know, it's like kind of segmented in that way. It's like not too overwhelming. I also really like smaller group chats, like group chats of like three or four or five, I think is my max. I've definitely seen people who are in group chats of like 30 people and I'm like, that is actually unhinged. There is no way that I would be participating in that. I would be a full lurker or the group chat would be like silent period because I just wouldn't have the energy to go through all those messages. But something interesting in the article, which I talked about a little bit earlier in this podcast, is this idea of like social media becoming unsocial and group chats filling that void to connect people with their friends through an online platform. And I think that's so true. Like my mental health has definitely been better since I started being in more group chats because I'm able to like talk more directly to my friends in a way that I haven't been able to do through social media, which is really sad. Because so many friends I've actually like made through social media, like through Twitter, through Tumblr, through Instagram. And I think nowadays it's pretty much impossible to like cultivate a friendship like that because you would just never see people's stuff. Like you would have to like actively be looking, like searching them up to make sure that you actually see what they're doing. And then the odds of them doing the same thing to you is kind of like, I don't know, like everyone's using social media differently. Um, I think it just makes it a lot harder than it used to be or maybe just because I'm older and people are not in school anymore so people like are focused with their jobs or whatnot but yeah I feel like for me personally it'd be really hard for me to make a new friend just virtually which I think is kind of sad. I don't really know what the future of social media is because I think a lot of people have been feeling the same way and everything really got fucked over when chronological order got fucked up, right? But I think a lot of people have been feeling this kind of fatigue and exhaustion and not being able to be community oriented through social media. So they fill it with group chats or discords. Um, But I'm also wondering if blogs will like come back fully in an analog type of way. I actually have an Instagram mutual and she has a blog and I think she does like computer coding or something like as a full-time job and her blog is sick and I really just like want to come across like more blogs like this. It's called milk-experiment.net and it's like a sci-fi blog and the worst thing is that I'm not even into sci-fi so I can't like fully appreciate this blog 
but she coded it and it like looks so cool design wise she has like articles relating to sci-fi everything's relating to sci-fi I would highly check it out if you're interested in sci-fi but also if you're just like interested in the old internet and what kind of blogs were available back then um I really like this idea of like a curated web page specifically for one interest which used to be such a popular thing on to find on Google and nowadays it's so hard to find anything remotely similar to this and that's still being updated I know that also for like Google they're like in the middle of a lawsuit or some trial where apparently they're like tampering with search engine like with the search engine results to begin with no surprise like we all kind of knew this was happening but I think it was like actually verified that what they do so if you're looking for let's say a sweater so you're like sweaters for the winter and you type that in they're like paid by specific advertisers to push certain search engine results forward and they also will like change your search like internally so that you will pull up those references so instead of like sweaters for the winter what google puts into the search engine is tj maxx sweaters and so you'll just get like the first couple results are like TJ Maxx related. It's so messed up. It's why it's so hard to use the internet these days. And someone needs to come up with a different search engine. Or if you know of a different search engine where I can find like actual good shit nowadays, please let me know. Highbrowbymina at gmail.com. Also, if you just like have any opinions about anything that I've said, agree, disagree. As long as you're not calling me names I will read it and I will like, you know, maybe share it. Um, even if you're like, like everything you said was just so off. Like, I think it's really valuable to to look at other people's opinions and don't hesitate to be, to be a naysayer. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm going to log off now. Thank you all so much for listening to me. As always, this podcast is edited by Sophie Carter, music by Olivia Martinez, and cover art by Lindsay Mintz. And if you're interested in following the Highbrow Instagram page, it is highbrow.pod. So instagram.com slash highbrow.pod. I'm also on Patreon. The Patreon username is Highbrow by Mina for some extra content. So yeah, thank you all so much and I'll uh, talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you.